0: This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. All our episodes, you can go to our website that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. We're really excited about our next guest. We're looking at trying to expand into what we're trying to do. And as we add in additional people that really have a lifetime's worth of experience, We found that this next guest is definitely really fitting the bill. So HDI's 2019 Lifetime Achievement Award honoree Roy Atkinson is one of the top influencers in the service and support industry. He blogs, his presentations, research, reports, white papers, keynotes, you name it, even webinars have gained him international reputation. And, of course, his role as group principal analyst, as he acts as an in-house subject matter expert for HDI and ICMI, he brings years of experience to the community. And, of course, what else? He holds a master's certificate in advanced management strategy from Tulane University's Freeman School of Business, and he's a certified HDI support center manager. So, Roy, thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you. How are you doing?
1: Good, Kirsten. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Well, one of the things that we do when we talk about what's the purpose of this show is really understanding your story. What got you into the contact center space in the first place? But obviously that had to have started with where you came from, and we'd love to dive into that and understand. So what's your story? What brought you to this point in your history?
1: Uh, I've always had the desire to help people out and to fix what I'm capable of fixing for people making their lives a little bit better. So my life is basically a series of customer service stories and no matter what I did along the way that's what I focused on. <clears throat> trying to do the best I could to make things better for other people in small ways and so uh, I come from a techie background we'll t- probably talk about that a little bit and uh, Also straight customer service, person-to-person, over a service desk, on the telephone, doing all kinds of customer service and support work. And uh, here I am now. I was a member of HDI for a long time and did projects with them and so forth. And in 2010, they decided they wanted me on the staff and brought me in. So here I am. That's awesome. So let's look at early on when you first
0: got into your work career. What were your first jobs like? What was the early Roy like? And then obviously, as you move into the future, how did you eventually get into the call center world?
1: So early on, I did what a lot of American kids do, which is delivered newspapers back then. Uh, And I focused on getting the newspaper to the people on time every day, no matter what and uh, there were snowstorms and and my first paper paper route it was at the other end of town I walked to get to that route pick up the newspapers and deliver them and i remember one time in particular we were over 20 inches of snow the sidewalk the sidewalks weren't cleared the mail wasn't getting through i got the papers to the people that's nice. just been just been my focus um make sure it happened they they were paying for it i delivered the service and uh So then in in high school, I took a job in what happened to be at the time the busiest supermarket in North America, second busiest supermarket in the world. I worked with some fabulous managers there who understood customer service and customer experience at the time. Those weren't talked about widely back then, but they understood it. They knew what customers needed to have happen. They were great managers and really taught me a lot. And I on to, to have another career for a while. Uh, we talked about that a little previously in my, I had a music career, but I came back and and again, a gravitated court towards service and support uh, in the technical support world and the contact centers uh, secondarily. But that's certainly one of my big jobs right now is is helping the folks on ICMI understand the contact center space.
0: Awesome. So let's kind of go back to that moment in time where I think you said it really well that you had to get the papers delivered and you were even delivering when the mail wasn't being delivered. And there, that's the goal, right? The mail always gets delivered. So something had to been instilled in you early on, whether it was customer service related or not, but you had a job, you had to do it and you had to do it well. Cause I had to assume that you delivering the paper and it being there on time had to have some importance to you. Was there some driver or thing that you had early on that it meant that had to happen versus just the easy excuse, ah, it's snowing today, or it's raining. It's not convenient, easy, or something that I should be doing right now. Do you have any insight into what drove that kind of thought
1: process for you? I I think that was part of growing up. Uh, My dad was a very ethical guy, tremendous amount of integrity, and uh, he was the kind of guy that would have gotten the newspapers through in the snow too and, and, and often did do things for his customers. He was a machinist by trade younger in his younger years and then became a salesperson later on. He always delivered for his customers and they, they loved him for it. They respected him for it. So I think I learned a lot of that service mentality from my father. And uh, I, I really took it on and, and, and strived to achieve the best that I could in, in that regard.
0: Well, that's great to be able to have a role model, have some sense of what something good looks like and the outcomes that come from that instilled such a young age. And obviously, it seems to have transferred not only in your journey, but uh, obviously how it's manifested in the industry you've gone into. And for many, going into the contact center space isn't the thing they wake up in the morning, when they're young and go, I, when I grow up, I want to be this in the contact center space. It's probably the furthest from the thing that they ever think of. And for many times we here create a little controversy when we say, Hey, you know, it's not a dream job. But I think the part we talk about is that people don't wake up and think of it as a dream job, but for many, it does become a dream job. At one point for you, did it ever become, or has it become a dream job for you?
1: I think that I've been lucky enough to have a bunch of dream jobs in my life. And I think that uh, when I started doing support work uh, as a profession, it really was a dream job for me. And, and I think what makes it a dream job is the interaction with the people. It's, it's not so much about you know the environment. Uh, are you in a call center? Are you at a service desk? Are you talking to people face to face or on the phone or some other way? I think it's helping the people and, and seeing their reactions and realizing that you've done something to make their day better, even sometimes when, it, when you can't. If you, if you can't, you can offer them some alternatives. And of course, we talk about that in best practices for call centers and all that type of thing. But I, I think it's the interactions with the people. And if there's the one thing I miss, especially now where we're not, I'm not going out to conferences and speaking anywhere, I yeah. really miss that interaction with people. But even in doing the work that I do, I do miss the interactions of supporting people and helping them in their work. Yeah, and I
0: think that's huge right now, right? In this pandemic, so many of us are used to that sense of community, that sense of personal interaction. And of course, you know, nothing against Zoom and other video conferencing tools, but in the end, sometimes just our nature is to wanna be around people. And many times when you can't do that, How do you still find ways to be able to service customers and care for them uh, equally as well, if not better uh, in this day? So let's kind of step back a little bit to HDI. For those who don't know what HDI is, what is HDI?
1: What, What does it do? What do you do there? or What was it that you did there? So HDI is really the foundation of the entire technical support industry. The founder of HDI back in 1989, Ron Munz, was really the guy who created the concept of a help desk. Uh, there weren't help desks there. There was a phone that would ring in the data center and you know the the computer room somewhere. Somebody Mm -hmm. would pick it up and take notes and 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 then call in the technical services people from IBM or HP or you know, somewhere else and get it fixed. Uh, the concept of a help desk really was developed at HDI, and HDI continued to build on that and built a reputation. And it's helped thousands and thousands of organizations with training certifications. Uh, we do things like site uh, certifications. So if you have a, a support center, technical support center in a software company or technical support center in your organization that helps the IT department, uh, we will go in and assess it. We'll give you recommendations based on our HDI support center standard. And uh, that's been very helpful to a lot of organizations. And also individual certifications as a customer service representative, as a support center analyst, as a manager, as a director. So there's lots of different levels uh, with both companies. They're, they're similar in that regard, just focused on different industries. But there's a lot of crossover and, and I'm one of the crossovers between the two. So got it.
0: So, I mean, obviously, since we brought up the other one um, mm-hmm. and my understanding, that's ICMI, correct? Yes, ICMI. And- and so for those, of course, who don't know uh, ICMI, would be surprised if you didn't. But if you don't, what is ICMI and what is the difference in the role of ICMI and obviously what you did with ICMI?
1: So ICMI is, uh, has been around the contact center space for over 30 years. Brad Cleveland is one of the central folks in the contact center space. He's been writing about contact centers for a long time. He founded ICMI. And uh, ICMI and HDI both are now part of Informa Tech, which is part of Informa, which is the largest events company in the world and has very many research arms as well as in-person events and virtual events, of course, now. Mm-hmm. So whether it's uh, contact centers, effectiveness and measurements, uh, omni-channel strategy, ICMI has a, 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 an array of tools and people who can help out your contact center to sort through the noise, figure out what the real deal is, and make sure that you understand the directions that you need to go to get things done.
0: Awesome, yeah, that's a great recap of uh, what they both do. And for those obviously who don't know about them and looking for resources, especially in those in particular buckets, Uh, can absolutely use them uh, as a resource for additional value. So for you specifically, though, you have your own podcast as well, right? And uh, it's called Spotcast. And it's one of the specific ones that I've seen that definitely has a lot of great information. It's also very technical in nature as well. But can you give me some insight for those who aren't aware and aren't familiar with it, which you all should, especially after today, um, uh, look into it. But for you, kind of walk me through what it is, what are the focus, your role in that, what are you trying to achieve? And then obviously, how did that come up? Because I, I doubt at one point you were just like, today's the day I start a podcast.
1: <laughs> it was a joint decision because it is HDI's podcast, actually. Uh, HDI's, you know, the, the titular sponsor of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and, but I did, previously I did a podcast called HDI Cast some years ago, but we really didn't have a good platform to support that and uh, then now of course the tools have gotten better and everything else and it was time to do a new one and so I started in In what's the word I'm looking for a conversation with my my boss let say hey let's do another podcast let's get this off the ground and so what we try to do is feature folks that are important in the HDI community whether they're speakers at our conferences or they're contributors to our battery of resources called support world, whatever they happen to do. And, and we try to focus on various concepts in the world of support and service management, like systems thinking is the latest one I did with David Moskowitz, who's a total expert on that subject, like uh, I- emotional uh, IQ, you know, EQ, Deborah Monroe, speaking about that, whether we talk about DevOps and ITSM, IT service management, with Donna Knapp. We've got a, a wide array of real experts in the fields and we try to bring out what they think on certain things. I, I will ask them you know, several questions get in a similar format to this, no video, it's just audio. But it's, it's great to do that because uh, I know these folks, most of them personally, And I know how smart they are. And I learn from them every time I listen to them. So I love having that opportunity to go out and listen to what they have to say on particular subjects. It's it's really cool.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I, and I can say the same thing. I've, I've been blessed with the opportunity to talk to a lot of people much smarter than I and being able to learn every single time I connect with them. So you're, you're right now, you know, I think you're around 30 episodes, give or take. And so you've had plenty of opportunity for interactions with some great minds. So does anything come to mind of a valuable piece that you think is like, oh, man, this was a great insight, a great uh, Episodes you had, and even then, being in the industry for so long and so much exposure, was there anything that came up that was surprising to you, or kind of just was like new that you hadn't really experienced or heard in that way? I
1: don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that was really surprisingly new, but I loved how some of some of the guests talked about their responses to the questions I was asking. Charlie Araujo is the founder of the Institute for Digital Transformation. And I asked him, what's his definition of digital transformation? And surprisingly, I guess, I, I knew this, but a lot of people would not. He, he said, let's put digital aside. Basically what Charlie said, it's about transformation, not about the technology. It's about how you transform a business. How do you change the culture of the people working there? So digital transformation is, should have accent much more on the transformation on the digital part of it. Technology is table stakes these days, right? You might get a little ahead of your competition and be able to serve your customers a little better because of the widget you have or the new app that you have or the new type of contact center technology, but ultimately it's the people. And if you can reimagine how they work and use those digital tools to accomplish that, that's real digital transformation. So that was great to hear that from Charlie. Also, uh, a lot of people don't, put the concept of customer experience together with IT support with their service desk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben Brennan, who's the founder of a company called Qstack and he's an inventor of a very specific metric called Qstack, Q S T A C uh, talked about his wife, who's a doctor working in a hospital and having a terrible time with her IT support people and losing hours that she could be devoting to either learning more or treating patients because of this technical support problem that they couldn't resolve. So customer experience is important across the board. It doesn't matter what type of industry you're in or whether you sit in a service desk or a call center or you know a contact center that's dealing directly with retail customers, whatever it happens to be, the experience that they have is what's going to bring them back. It's gonna, it's what's going to strengthen your business, or cause problems either internally with your employees who are going to leave if they're dissatisfied, or uh, with your customers who are going to leave if they're dissatisfied. So uh, focusing on that aspect of your work is totally important.
0: That's incredible to hear because. Whenever you think about technology now, right, there's this idea of technology is getting so good so fast. You got everything from bots and AI and self-service and machine learning and, and all these things that are enabling technology and people together to provide an exceptional experience faster than before and potentially better than before. But the key part it all comes down to is the person. And I think you Mm -hmm. put it really well in referencing that, yeah, the technology is great, but that technology in of itself isn't the end result, right? It's that interaction with that person. Is it great? Is it memorable? And to do so many times there's still a person absolutely at the core of that interaction. So it's great to hear that piece of it. And so since you're Really diving into a lot of pieces, everything from ICMI and HDI and the podcast with HDI and everything. So what are some current projects right now that you're working on or some things that recently you'd say you're probably the most proud of?
1: Uh, We're we're designing our research plans for 2020. We, like many other organizations, have had to make some rapid shifts. We had in-person conferences scheduled for both companies early in the year. Uh, those have been shifted to virtual virtual conferences. So scrambling to get that done and design it in such a way that it's not. we're not trying to imitate what would happen in person because that's not going to work. You mm-hmm. really need to present a virtual event that's going to be a good virtual event. So finding the right platform, doing all that. So that's been very important work. And I've been tried to help out in, in doing that and getting the speakers on board and what we've done is created a series of panel discussions, which are terrific. I love doing these, where we'll have uh, three folks from different organizations talking on, on a particular topic and uh, interviewing them and getting their thoughts. Again, pulling the, pulling the smarts from people, right? Sharing the smarts. It's so important to do that. Get those smart people around you. Listen to what they say. Steve Jobs said something like that very much. We, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We are smart people so they can tell us what to do. And so making those contacts happen is really good. So uh, both companies are aligning the research and projects that we're doing, working on a couple of trend reports right now and what's going on in the cloud space for the contact center and what some of the advantages are, especially in light of the fact that we have distributed workforces, lots of people working from home. Uh, how How do you best do that? What are some of the technologies that can help you make sure that you're getting the best and making sure that the agent experience from a contact center is also good because if your agent experience is good, it's much more likely that your customer experience is gonna be good. So working on on a lot of projects in that regard.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really, really important topic right now for a lot of people, especially considering those who made the decision to embrace cloud-based technology prior to the pandemic may have had a different experience obviously than those that hadn't. And we're kind of forced to make that transition. So the catalyst of the pandemic forcing change at a pace that people are absolutely not only not used to, but may not have been prepared for. I can just imagine what your conversations are in those spaces, but specifically, it's interesting you note that because so much of the content information that was shared was in physical conferences and events, Having to shift, as you mentioned, it's not cookie cutter. You don't just unplug in-person events and then somehow magically plug them into exact form and digital and then they're somehow successful.
2: How many times does a call have to drop? How many times do customers have to complain about noise? With Nobel Biz Omni Plus, your work from home concerns are a thing of the past. Why worry about noise during calls when you can just send a text? WhatsApp traffic tripled during the pandemic, so why aren't you on there? Nobel Biz Omni Plus offers a seamless experience custom tailored for the at-home call center. With all the social media integrations, plus the traditional ones like voice, email, video, SMS in a single platform. Go to nobelbiz.com to find out more. What happens if an agent can't take calls because they have little ones? Simple, you can just reassign that agent to handle only text-based conversations. OmniPlus allows you to do that. So once again, go to nobelbiz.com to check it out. That's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z.com to get a free license for six months.
0: So you had mentioned, obviously, the right platform and being able to have panels. Was there anything that you found or are still looking at when you're trying to make these events virtual to be successful for people to actually not only attend, but to actually pay attention and participate in it versus sign up and maybe they never show up because they're busy? When they're at a conference, there's almost nothing else going on. They're there. They've already made that decision to check out of what they're doing. Have you seen anything that's helped or you're still looking to work towards? to achieve that
1: attention span while virtual? That's a great question. And uh, actually, I've been looking at uh, some sessions from other organizations. I'm a member of the National Speakers Association because I do do a lot of public speaking. And the NSA has been running their virtual conference over a period of weeks. And they've been delivering it in bite-sized chunks. So one session on Tuesday, one session on Friday, one session on Thursday, so that the the the, you're not drinking from the fire hose right you're not trying to you're not getting overwhelmed with that information overly
0: saturated too fast
1: that's key is to break it up a little bit spread it out a little bit more do different kinds of sessions make sure that there's some interactivity involved as much as you can Uh, just having me staring at the camera for an hour and quoting statistics (laughs) isn't going to work very well uh, it might work in person because I tend to be a little humorous when I'm talking about stats and everything else. But, but it's re- it's really a different ballgame. And making sure that your speakers are set up for success as well, making sure that they have decent lighting so you can see their faces, uh, making sure that they've they've got some camera presence, making sure that their background isn't crazy busy. You know, they don't they're not sitting in front of a zigzag mural that makes your eyes go. Uh, that that stuff is important. Uh so it it it's it's tough to to get that done, but if you if you're careful about it and uh thoughtful about it, you can make pretty good things happen in a virtual event.
0: Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the 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 transition of shifting the requirement of the person that is speaking for their audio and the video and the lighting it was always on a professional that that was their job right they had to make sure that the mic was set up properly all these things but now when you're remote you're sitting there having to walk someone through yeah your mic works it sounds good your lighting's off your background doesn't work and these are things that i don't know that everyone takes into account and maybe even certain speakers haven't really done that much. And who knows, they may have done it quite a bit. So uh, that part of it has to be interesting. But I I do agree that uh, the bite-sized aspect of consuming that information so that people, their attention spans, when they have so many other things, other pop-ups, other reminders, other people that may be in their home, how do you keep that mind share for anything more than a split second and you've lost that audience, right? So it really doesn't have to do with the content anymore per se, but how do you keep them engaged in the remote aspect? But I think that also translates into agents as well, right? When you think of, when you talk about that customer experience, when we talk about the agent's experience, they may be used to being in a room with a lot of their other peers with their supervisors, having that sense of community there, even the culture of the business imparted by those interactions. Uh, Have you seen anything in that space being able to still empower that sense of taking care of the customer, a sense of community and the culture of the business, uh, but still doing so remotely? Or do you still, that's still a big challenge for companies?
1: I think as we were talking about speakers, the same is true with managers. Managers have to learn how to engage their people through this medium, right? Being able to Have video meetings. And I remember there was a a webinar that HCI did uh, with a gentleman named Brandon Cottle, who is managing uh, several distributed teams. One of his teams was in India, one was in Costa Rica, several in the United States. And we really wanted to know how he was doing that, how he was getting good results from his teams, even though they're scattered all over the world. Mm -hmm. And video was the big thing that he talked about. Uh, and being able to connect with them on video. Every team meeting was on video. And we're seeing a lot of things like that where some companies have said, oh, we have a Microsoft Teams up. We've got a, a, a constant conversation going all day long. People are just dropping in and out of that conversation all day long if they have a problem. They can talk to their colleagues similar to the way that they would if they were in the same space. It's getting used to being able to do that, that that really makes a difference. Providing the right, again, because the technology is an enabler, uh, it's providing that right technology. So it's tricky, but it can be done.
0: Understood. So let's kind of shift a little bit to the customer side in that, that interaction potentially with the agent. When we talk about customer reviews, right? You've considered that customer reviews are really word of mouth marketing. So what do you mean by that? And separately, I understand that potentially support agents could take time to actually respond or reply to customer reviews. What are your thoughts on that, of it being good or a bad practice or something that should be embraced?
1: I think that first of all, customers who will give you a review, whether that's good or bad, that as <laughs> yeah. Vala Afshar, who's a pretty famous guy on Twitter these days, uh, I know Vala a little bit. Uh, Vala says uh, customer feedback is a gift unwrap it and share it with your team. All of that feedback is important, whether it's praises and kudos to your team or whether it's a complaint about your team, you're going to learn from it and you really have to be willing to take that in and say, okay, how do we respond to this customer? A customer may have a brilliant suggestion about a thing that you could change on your website or in your interactions with them Maybe they have a suggestion about a better way to greet them on the telephone if they call you or in your chat sessions. Uh, Listen, of course, you're not going to be able to adopt everything that the customers tell you or correct every single flaw in a product, Uh, you know, maybe not for a period of time, but it's important that the customers know that you're listening. And so to offer them uh, something in return for the feedback to say, hey, thanks for telling us this uh, you know, we're, we're looking at this right now and, and we'll keep you updated. And then if, if you do decide to adopt that, let them know that you're doing it based on their feedback. It's really important to do that. Customers can feel disengaged very quickly. If they invest the time to tell you something about how they feel about your product or your service, don't just let them sit there and wonder whatever happened. That's one of the worst things you can do let them know. Failure to communicate is failure to serve. And so uh, you really need to let them know what you think, thank them and do what you can. Yeah, I couldn't
0: agree with you more because obviously during, especially during this pandemic, I I myself as a consumer, and I've said this before on many occasions, that brands that I was interacting with did a great job before and post pandemic, they didn't do a great job and lost my confidence and all the friction points that were created post-pandemic with my interactions with them. Other brands just killed it. They were awesome. And so it made me believe that, well, this isn't across the board. You can't excuse using the pandemic because other people got it right. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's interesting on what you said there is when you look at the pieces around uh, getting that feedback My guess, and I don't know this as a fact, but my guess would be for the vast majority of people that give reviews, they give feedback, it's probably a pretty small percentage of the overall people you interact Mm -hmm. with. But a lot of people can see that interaction, especially if it's through social media and through other forums, which become more public. So even though that a small percentage may be dictating the voice of that pain or friction or that joy of that experience, I bet there's still a lot of people that rely some substantial percentage of their decision-making on looking at reviews and looking at things, uh, feedback, how companies respond. So do you have any data or information or experience around kind of the things I'm just theorizing there
1: um, around those pieces? I I think you're right. Uh, Personally, I can tell you what my personal experience and my own practices and I think, I don't think I'm alone. I, I, Know a lot of other people that do the same. If I'm going to buy something from a a large site, which can remain unnamed, that does customer reviews uh, and posts those reviews with the product. If you look at not just the number of five stars versus one star, one of the things that I do is look at those one-star reviews, and there might be five people saying exactly the same thing about the product. You say, Oh, okay. There's a potential problem here because the package didn't arrive in one piece, or it was hard to put together, or it fell apart after a week, and those five people out of 500 said exactly the same thing. Well, there's a potential problem. So it's really important to look at that. And if, you're, if your company is allowing reviews like that and not looking at that type of information, you have got a problem. Because you're not learn, again, you're always gonna learn from what the customers tell you. Your customers and your and this is important too, your contact center, support center uh, are the people who know the most about what your company looks like from the outside and how it looks to customers from the inside. The contact center folks are dealing with those customers all day. They're listening to it. And a lot of times people in, in the higher regions, in the C level or you know, director level. They're not sitting in the, in, in the contact center and listening to what the customers have to say. In the companies where that happens, amazing results come from that because the C-level listens to what the customers are saying, learn from it and say, whoa, here's what we need to fix. We need to get around this. And and also you're absolutely right in saying some, some co- companies have done really well with the pandemic. Others have not. And an example that I use is... is uh, Sam's Club uh, offering grocery delivery to your car. I sat in Sam's Club parking lot for two hours waiting for them to text me that my stuff was ready. And I kept asking them, is it is it ready? How will I know when it's ready? Well, it won't be ready for a while yet. Well, how long? We don't know. That's really bad. On the other hand, there's a little local grocery store that had no web presence whatsoever before the pandemic hit. They put up a web page hooked it to their inventory system, allowed you to order your groceries online and brought it across the street to a parking lot. And it was spot on every single time. They got it absolutely right. They would text you when it was ready. You come pick it up. It was absolutely fabulous. So there's two sides of the same coin. Uh, One organization that really has a lot of resources and could have gotten it right, that didn't get it right. And one organization that had no resources that figured it out and got it right. So pay attention.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and, and and that's a great set of examples. I have several myself, but I won't bother with the details.
2: If you can't get enough of Christian's voice and want more of that awesome mellow tone, go to Nobelbiz.com and click on webinars. How have these challenging times impacted you? Is remote work difficult for your call center? How can you make sure your agents are actually working? We have the answers to these questions, plus actionable tips on how to get your contact center up to speed. Once again, go to nobelbiz.com slash webinar dash series to find all our recordings. That's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z.com, and click on the webinars button.
0: I think when we go into the pandemic and how it's driving customer experience, I think a lot of companies, as we said, some are actually de- doing it right. And we're seeing that some companies are actually prioritizing their CX budget, right? Versus slashing it and finding ways to just gut it, hoping that they just hunker down until this is all over. Even though the there's that old saying, right? People don't stop buying. They just stop buying from you. Right? Mm-hmm. And so with that said, what do you think that's happened or maybe suddenly a, a switch has gone on with some of these companies that said, wait, CX is important, right?
1: This is something we should invest into. What do you think is going on there? What have uh, you seen? I, I think it has been coming over a period of time. I think in the last couple of years, customer experience has really come to the forefront, and I, I've written quite a bit about CX, not only for HDI, ICMI, but but for as contributions to other uh, companies as well. Um, and and along behind that. Organizations are really starting to realize how important their agent experience, their employee experience is in terms of that. And uh, my friend Shep Hyken, who's a wonderful speaker uh, in the world of customer experience and customer service, says that what happens on the inside is visible on the outside. If your organization focuses on that employee experience and uh, internal experience, and focuses on the customer as as an organization, the customers are going to feel that. The example I give there is walking into a hotel when I'm when I'm on the road traveling to a conference or to go see visit with clients, whatever. I walk into a hotel and there's somebody vacuuming the hallway as I'm on my way to my room for the first time. And sometimes they stop and they put the, pull the vacuum aside and they look at me head on, smile, say hello. I know I'm in a good hotel. If mm-hmm. they kind of tower and keep looking at the floor and don't pay attention to me, maybe I'm going to have a good experience and maybe I'm not. The employee experience is certainly really important and, and especially in those customer facing roles like the contact center, super important and glad to see that finally folks on the upper levels are really starting to understand how that works.
0: It's really good, as you mentioned, for that to happen, but obviously you got to measure some of these things because Mm -hmm. you don't just start making changes and hope for the Mm -hmm. best, right? So you you definitely talk a lot about customer effort score. For those who don't know what that is, could you give us a brief insight into what it is? And then obviously, how have you seen it used to properly implement things like what you said as far as seeing where things are improving and not improving?
1: It's a really interesting metric. It's very simple. It's a one question, like net promoter score has been very important, right? Would you recommend us to friends and family or however you decide to word that. Customer effort score is basically, you can phrase it either way. How easy was it for you to get your problem solved or your question answered or whatever that happens to be or how hard was it to get your question answered? And you can run that on a scale of zero to five, one to 10, however you wanna run it with let's say difficulty being at the high end and uh, ease being at the low end or vice versa. As long as you're consistent about which way you're gonna measure it and as long as the people that you're reporting that score to understand which way it looks. Do we want a customer reference score of zero, which means it's super easy, or do we want a customer effort score of 10, meaning it was super easy? So make sure how you construct that. But it's a, it's a great question. You can just add it to your current customer satisfaction survey with very little impact. And and basically, it gives you a reading on the level of friction between you and your customers. And you can also apply that internally to, if you're supporting your fellow employees, let's say, from the IT service desk, uh, you can ask that same question. How hard was it for you to to get our attention and to get your question answered? Was it difficult? Was it easy? Let us know. That is... It's a great way to measure that friction level and, and really you can improve how that happens because if you leave them an open space to comment, a lot of them will and they'll tell you exactly where that friction occurred.
0: Which is which is great because a lot of times you know that you're not scoring well, but you don't know where or why, right? And obviously you talk about that internal customer and the external customer. And obviously if your internal customer is not performing or is not happy, uh, it can absolutely, as you mentioned, what's inside manifests on the outside. So obviously, properly putting that score and keeping it consistent is going to allow that. So the other thing that we talk about that's important, especially and maybe potentially smaller to medium centers that may not embrace this or use this um, um, a lot. Let's talk about change management a little bit. You know, How does that work and what's the importance of it? And you know, does it add value, especially for maybe smaller or medium centers that may or may not have that implemented today?
1: So there's, there are a few different types of change management. It's important to understand the differences. Uh, in the IT world, change management uh, revolves around or it's, as it's now called change enablement. Uh, revolves around being able to institute changes in the technology side that don't cause your company to go bankrupt because everything fell apart. You put in a change overnight and your entire website collapses. Not a good thing. And so you try to manage the risk to the business by managing how those changes are implemented, when they're implemented, et cetera, knowing that they're coming. No rogue people just saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to update this server and taking down half the company because they did it. There's also organizational change management, uh, which is basically taking the people side of that and saying, okay, we're going to change how we do business here. Let's take an easy example. uh, Let's take the example of, let's say, Microsoft Office, something almost everybody uses in one way or another. Uh, They went from the menu-driven system to the ribbon-driven system years ago. If people were not prepared for that, if they weren't educated about it, they were completely confused. And this is an exact quote from somebody who called up the IT service desk and said, yesterday I knew how to do my job, today I don't. So you've gotta prepare people, you have to communicate what's coming, you have to tell them why, you have to tell them what the benefits are for them as well as the benefits to the organization. It's all about communication to people, And help guide them through the tough times that are invariably going to happen when when there's disruption, when there's change. Any change will produce some difficulty somewhere along the line. Even if you wind up with the best product or best service in the world, you're going to cause some disruption. And so, explaining what's happening and making sure that people have the resources, the skills, and an action plan what's going to happen? I talk about having five things when it comes to change management vision. Incentives, tell people what why it's gonna benefit them. What's in it for them. Yep, resources, give them what they need to get through it. Skills, train them if they need training and an action plan, let them know what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen and, and don't forget the why. That's the most important thing, right? Yeah, absolutely
0: setting the right expectation, obviously letting them know how to get that buy-in so that it, it not only runs smoothly but that you're able to actually implement whatever it is you're trying to change.
1: Absolutely. Uh, have you ever dreamed of perfect calls? Do you ever wonder how much time you'd save? How awesome would it be if you had only uninterrupted calls? Thankfully, these dreams are real. If you're a call center, we can do that for you. The NobleBiz Carrier of Carriers network assures uninterrupted calls through a worldwide series of servers designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to deliver crystal clear quality. But how do we know we're so good? It's because we're a true carrier. We control the quality, the network, and the servers. And we said, let's give it all we've got. Go to noblebiz.com and search for world-class voice under technology. Once again, that's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z.com and look for
0: world-class voice. That's great. And so obviously one of the things that we've talked about, we've talked about change management, which obviously is how to enable that internal change and the changes to be able to drive the next level outcomes that you're looking for. We talked about um, customer effort, amount of friction and where it can occur. But let's talk about a little bit of the communication of value of customer experience, right? And how do you measure that? You know, How do you measure customer experience? What are you You've seen in that area um, as far as being able to measure that?
1: Well, there's lots of ways to measure it. Uh, first of all, ask. That's the most important way to measure anything is to ask the customer. Uh, second thing is, do the customers come back? <laughs> that that re- customer return, customer retention is extremely important. Lifetime value, if you want to look at that, how many times is the customer going to buy what they're buying now? Uh, based on their experiences with your company. And uh, also all the other metrics that we usually consider. Uh, Are you making your customers wait on the phone? Average handle time, uh, wait time, uh, speed to answer. All of those traditional call center metrics are super important in terms of how they impact your customer. But also ask them what's important to them. Sometimes you'd be surprised. Does it matter to you how long you wait on the phone if we can answer your question on the first try? Oh, well, unless it's a really, really long time, like 45 minutes, I'm okay with that. You might be surprised at what their answers might be. So adjust your metrics as you go based on the feedback that you're getting. And that feedback comes from multiple sources. Uh, t- the technology can give you lots of analytics. Uh, There's voice analytics. There's text analytics. You can see if your customers are actually happy or if they're not based on their responses to what you say and what you do. You can see what areas they're hitting on your website. Are they going to self-help? Do they bounce off your self-help in two seconds or do they stick around for a while? There's lots of ways to measure.
0: Well, that's all been some really great information. And when we talk about the pandemic and how it's affected businesses, you know, we definitely want to always figure out how it's impacted you, right? So you specifically, during this time in the pandemic, business level or personal level, outside of obviously not being able to go to events and shows, um, what kind of impacts have you seen in your personal life and your business life in regards to this?
1: Well, I think I'm one of the lucky ones in, in, in regard that I've been working from home for a long time. A lot of our workers at hDI and ICMI are home based and 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 the organization did send everybody home pretty quickly. So I'm used to having an office. I have a good office here uh, with uh, relatively little interruptions. And so that's been pretty simple for me. Not traveling is is a bummer, as I said, not getting out there and and dealing with people directly. But, and I do get Zoom fatigue. I have to say it, and I'll call it Zoom fatigue, even though it could be Teams fatigue. It could be, you know, WebEx fatigue, whatever it happens to be. Video calls are tiring. Uh, They just are. And uh, we have to realize that too and not make too many demands on people and realize if this person is on camera for eight hours a day, wow, they're going to be exhausted by the end of it. So, again, small pieces. It's really an adjustment from having a big, thing to do versus having lots of small things to do. And interestingly enough, there's a school of IT thinking that says the same thing, and that's called DevOps. Make small incremental changes that have very little impact. Iterate, 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 listen to the feedback, iterate, listen to the feedback, develop those those information loops and things, things are better. Uh, so I, I have lost friends in the pandemic uh, due to the virus. It's unfortunate, but it's it's really t- a tough time. Um, but here we are, staying home, being safe, and getting on with it.
0: Well, I'm sorry about the loss, and I know it's impacted many people differently. And obviously for those right now, especially who are overwhelmed, may be able to be in the position where they were used to having a remote environment like some of us. Um, what would you say to them or what things do you think could help motivate them or kind of help them in these moments of potentially feeling overwhelmed? Any advice for them?
1: Uh, learn how to stop. A lot of organizations, including Informa, our parent company, they are off- are offering what they call mindful Mondays. Uh, there's some meditation to start off the day. Maybe you can take part in that. But find yourself a practice of some sort that allows you to let go of the stress Having a routine is really important. And that's one of the things that has really impacted people is that they had a routine that was completely disrupted by this. Uh, I remember reading some years ago that the ideal commute for people was about 20 to 25 minutes because that would give you a chance to de-stress after work on your way home. And maybe you listen to a podcast on the way home. It would just allow you to adjust between home and work. Now that boundary is gone. And a friend of mine who coaches uh, a lot of executives, Patty Blackstaff, said that she was talking to a CEO who said, "I'm not working from home. I'm at home trying to work, and so are you." To his employees, that's the way he put it. Everybody is, you know, has w- had to learn quickly new ways to do things. And and I'll just hark back to a statistic that HDI grabbed. We do an annual survey of some various aspects of the industry. And one of the things we asked of the service desks and support centers was, uh, are you planning on implementing working from home in 2020? So this is toward the end of 2019, we asked this question. And the response told us that 32% of the support centers had no plans to have people working from home in 2020. Well, surprise, a couple of months later, Almost 100% of support centers were working from home. So th- that's tremendous disruption. It's been extremely tough for people. But I think we're resilient enough in this industry. And, and, and the evidence of that is it's not an easy thing to be on the phone and have customers yelling at you, but they do. Uh, but the next day, people show up for work. Maybe they have to walk away for a few minutes and gather themselves and come back. And get on the phone with the next customer or answer the next chat session or respond to somebody on a website. But we get through it because we're resilient. And uh, resilience is really the key during this time.
0: Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, obviously, we are so excited to have been able to have you on. Some really great information. We definitely want people knowing how to connect with you. So I'd love to be able to let everybody know if you can let our audience know where they can find you and connect with you.
1: Well, I am on LinkedIn at Roy Atkinson. You can find me. I'm also on Twitter as guess what? At Roy Atkinson. Uh, You can find me there. And uh, please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you or have you connect with me. If you do connect with me on LinkedIn, please, please let people know where it was that you saw me. (laughs) Let me let me know because a lot of times I just get a a request to connect and I have no idea who the person is or why they're contacting me. So just put a note on it and let me know. Um, Also, uh, thinkhdi.com is the HDI website. You can find a lot of the stuff that I've written there, and icmi.com is ICMI's website, and there's tons of information. We have webinars, we have blog posts, we have Research reports, all kinds of information on both of those sites. So come visit and learn.
0: All right. Well, to my audience, obviously, you know how to get a hold of Roy and make sure you tell him that you found him here on First Contact Stories of the Call Center. So, Roy, thanks so much for stopping by. Stay healthy. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Christian. Thank you very much. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minuts, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minuts.